Hey there, my name is Dan. My name is Joshua, and, and we, we are, are the, the Unauthorized, Unauthorized Critics, Critics Circle. Circle. Now, Joshua, tell the listener what we do here at the UCC. With pleasure. Here at the UCC, we review theater with the normal bitcheries and qualms by watching the video recordings from of questionable origins of various productions. Let me give you the lowdown, ba-ba-ba, I'm crazy for you. As you might have heard, this week we are discussing Crazy For You, specifically the Paper Mill Playhouse Pro Shot, say that three times fast, from 1999. Um, this is really easy to find. God, this is annoying. I do this to you all the time? Jesus. This is constantly, this is exactly what bad news. Go away. This oh, is an easy recording to find. Go to the watch. internet, or search it up, play Paper Mill Playhouse Crazy for You. You'll find it. And shares. Okay, uh, we mentioned this because, who you know, cares? we're going to talk cares? about the production Dancing and the performance and that we've watched, and now. you might want to know about some of those details. I'm up among the, cl- the internet is your friend, darling. Unearthly things uh, are So without I'm further ado, the, the curtain's apparently fully already risen. I'll pay the piper when times are riper. Okay, let's start the fucking episode. Enough of this shit. Dancing and I can't be bothered. Now. Dan. Dan, before we start, can I I get your thoughts on something? Dan. Dan, Dan, Dan. Dan. What? Uh, I'm so sorry to interrupt your precious little moment. Um, I keep you, losing I... all of these Broadway lotteries. I can't win a goddamn one. Everyone loves a winner, and that's why nobody loves me. What? What do you need? I I have all the opinions. Yeah, yeah, that's why. Um, I wanted to. Uh, it's it's kind of silly. I'm uh after this recording session, I'm actually running off to an audition. Um, I was hoping I might get your thoughts. Uh, I've been working on this little tap combo. Oh, no. Um, and. I just want to know what you God, what you think of the this is what we're footwork. Going with. No, just 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 I just what, here. What here? Let me show you what I got. What do you think? How's that? That's the bit of multimedia that you needed to set up before we recorded. I mean, that that's not the entire routine you know like it's not just gonna be like it's a whole thing like i've got my whole i'm gonna let me give you the lowdown i'm crazy for you when it comes to a showdown i'm crazy for you and so the love may not inspire my lingo still it's making my heart go bango bingo Let me give you the lowdown. I'm crazy for hold for the big finish. What do you think? They're writing songs of love, but not for me. Oh, I didn't know you were going out for it too. Although I can't dismiss. The memory of uh, that's not your track. You're more of a Fodor. A uh, what? You're more of a Fodor. I I don't do Lord of the Rings, honey. The British guys. That's your track here. 
I and I, I he's left the call. His being so awful um, for me. what I Every think is probably I the so least defensive reason to have left the call on the podcast so far. Perform anything, he just attacks me. He um, attacks me. He hates me, and you've been here witnessing. So I guess the we have to wait for that to disturbing be done. That he has Stan such likes hatred in his, his heart. Because he's of the way filled Discord with hate. Handles its stuff now. You never know when he's gonna fucking join the call back because it doesn't ring anymore. Oh, he's back. I was telling our audience that that's probably the least offensive thing that I've ever said on the podcast to have made you hang up. Who, who the fuck is Fodor? The British dude with the guide. Oh, oh yeah. I said, said that. What? That's not me. Whatever. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Unauthorized Critic Circle. Today's episode, we are covering the Gershwin review crazy for you. Uh, as it's it not a review. We went over it's, this. It's not look, a review. It is not a review. It's basically... There is a book. What? Do it you want me to review. call it... Do you want me to call it the Gershwin Jukebox musical? Do you want me to call it that? It, it, they called it the new Gershwin musical comedy. It was on the fucking poster. They didn't put the poster in the in the video. You were in the show. You didn't look at the cast album ever. I actually have the cast album right beside me right now. Not okay, even on purpose. Well, it just happened to be. Album, and you will see it says the new Gershwin musical comedy. It's small font. It's not a review. Reviews don't have plot. So we watched the Gershwin review with plot. Crazy for you. It is not a review. <laughs> I'm going to keep saying it now just to piss you off and get some excited energy throughout the episode. Danny boy, let's jump into this discussion. Oh, Danny boy. Uh, the the Gershwin's brand new musical comedy, Crazy for You. What was your familiarity? The hoity-toity rich kid high school in my area did a production of Crazy for You that I went to uh, while I was in high school. And they, like, yeah, of course, they rented out the Broadway costumes, and they recreated the Broadway sets, and they recreated as much of the original Broadway choreography as they could, and they got a full-ass car on stage, and we sat there thinking, our entire budget, including rights, is $5,000. This is funny. Oy vey. Mm-hmm. Isn't that just we depressing when that happens? We had a fucking cafetorium. We performed in a cafetorium. You know how pathetic that is? That's a love of the art form. <sighs> oh, and of course, uh, the Gershwin songbook is a great influence on my life. Now mm. you talk. Uh, I did this show. Every now and then. I, this is the first time in like a while that we're talking about a show that one of us had done. Have, has that been the case since like Susical? Uh, no, it was like just after, just after. Okay, it's after. guys and dolls. And then, of course, my uh, living production. It's a okay. Immersive theatrical experience yeah. of Grey Gardens. Of Grey Gardens, yeah, I knew um, you were gonna say it. Yeah. Okay. So I guess since guys and dolls, this is the first time that one of us has done the show we're talking about. I did the show. Uh, in my first year of high school, um, I played Zangler. To this day, straight up, still kind of one of the most fun roles I've been able to play. It's fun to just 
adopt a Hungarian mustache and pretend to be drunk for most of your onstage time. And you know, you were very miscast as Zangler. In reality, you're more of a Perkins Custis. Is this your new Dippy Gavash? No, Perkins Custis, originated by Gary Burkhart in the original Broadway cast. Did you pick a name out of a hat? It was the funniest name. Yeah, I was uh, that's exactly what I fucking figured. It was fun. I um I took it upon myself to choreograph what causes that and I basically actually used <laughs> this production a diva. freshman of... year and already a diva. I have to choreograph <laughs> my own number. <laughs> Uh, no one else was gonna do it justice. Um, it was it. Was, I just ripped off the paper mill staging, which is like the original Broadway staging. It was fun, and I had a great time, and I fell in love with Gershwin's music as a result of doing that show, and I've been a Gershwin boy ever since. Oh, you've loved Gershwin's music so much that you only saw Porgy and Bess for the first time mere weeks ago. That uh, timeline um, doesn't add up, huh? kid. Fully months, months, Dan. Okay, but still, they were you were uh, how many years ago were you a freshman in high school? Um, Seven. Two. You're not still in high school. I'm extremely young. <laughs> oh, fuck you. <laughs> Wait, no, no, no. It wasn't even my freshman year. It was it was grade ten. In my grade nine year, I um was the door holder slash raffle entry advertiser at the actual performance itself. And what was the show? Cinderella. Steeping this incessant Rodgers and Hammerstein v. Gershwin battle. This bloodbath. call this? No, it's not a bloodbath. I don't know. The kids that don't know history are the people that would, like, put Rodgers and Hammerstein against Gershwin. They're not even working in the same period. George Gershwin died in 1937. Oklahoma was in 1941 or two. Are you suggesting to me uh, that they met in 1940 and just went, let's write the greatest musical of all time? They knew each other, but they had not worked together. Yeah, Rodgers and Hammerstein together knew what their future was. They banded together, and they killed George Gershwin. What's so hard to understand? No. Richard Rodgers killed Larry Hart from homophobia. What's so hard to understand <laughs> there? Richard Rodgers was with well, Larry Hart. We're not in disagreement Hart there. was extremely gay and extremely a drunk and uh, Larry Hart became unreliable and Richard Rogers had to cast around for a new collaborator while Larry Hart was still alive and y you know Larry Hart that killed uh, him. showed up to the opening night of Oklahoma he said oh what a great job and they had a new show opening that same season and uh yeah, he laid down in the gutter, completely passed out drunk for a couple days, and the pneumonia killed him. Frederick Lowe of Lerner and Lowe, who did My Fair Lady and whatnot, literally tripped over a guy, looked down, and he realized, that's Larry Hart, I should take him to a hospital. What's he doing on the ground like a homeless? <laughs> like a homeless? <laughs> oh. Well, murder, m intrigue, and tragedy... All themes extremely prevalent and crazy for you. Do we? You want? You ready to leap into the show? No, my shock absorbers are dead. Oh. I can't leap anymore. You can't leap? No. Well. I can't even leap in lizards. Get a pogo stick? I don't know. Lizards. Um, 
So, starting this discussion, I, I, I think I don't want to start with what we normally do. Um, what do you want to start with? A cooking tutorial? Yeah, if you don't mind, actually. Do you have anything? Well, you know, I used to work in a bakery, and I will tell you now how to make bread. Okay, mm. so really, it's all about proportion. You need Sugar, 60% butter. flour. Okay, th that leads me into my first Sugar, point. If you butter. are making a pie crust, your butter Sugar, needs to be cold. Butter, flour, sugar, butter, because flour, when sugar, the butter... butter I don't know any other lyrics, that's all I got. Because when the butter hits the oven, it, the water content releases, and that's what makes a flaky crust. Now, after you hear sugar, butter, flour, the very first word you hear is her say, I take the butter out of the pantry, which means the butter is warm, her crust is not flaky, it's soggy, and the entire <laughs> plot is about her winning a pie competition. The very first lyric tells you she's bad at pie making. Hey, no, you, so yeah, why am but, I but you see the growth hours? in the show. Don't you want to see the character develop with her pie making skills? No, she just developed her sexual appetite for the doctor. We can do both at the same time. Haven't you ever read a romance novel? We're very off topic. Yeah. So, here's what I'll start with. Did you like the show? Yes. Yeah? I liked it more when I saw a high school production of it. And I'm going to tell you the truth. I liked it more being a part of a high school production. And if you've ever been part of a high school production, you know that that's saying something. What, we now expect that all of our audience were in their high school musicals? We might have some tone-deaf people that listen what? in. You think that stops one a person? Okay, you have a point. You should have seen my Bobby. Um. <laughs> Bobby, 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 baby, Bobby, Wow, Bobby, holy Bobby, shit, you, are, you have a problem today. <laughs> this is me when I'm just, like, normal. And when uh, we record, I that's, am normally that's, on my That's a contradictory behavior. sentence. This is me, like, normal not recording. Okay. I and think... What we do is, like, my good behavior. <laughs> oh, God. What? So this is my I'm, normal, actually. What a chilling thought. <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> I want to start off by getting to why I liked this show better as a high school production. And that's kind of why I want to start this episode today talking about this production. I don't know if you'd like to start, I guess, with the, the, the history of the show or if there's anything you'd like to share with the audience about something you know about the show, about how it was developed and how it came to be. But... I'd like to, in, well, it, instead of talking about the material first, talk about the production once that's all through. Well, it, it really is girl crazy. Uh, mm. There's a slightly different plot, but it's mainly the score of girl crazy. They just added in a brand new book. Yeah, girl crazy was, like, western, right? Yeah. Like, it was similar in content, similar score similar location and they just they added in a couple more Gershwin songs they put in a new book and they called it a new show and uh, Girl Crazy of course was where Ethel Merman made a splash uh, singing I Got Rhythm 
and mm. she held out a C for, I believe, something like 14, 15 bars of music. And Jeez. Gershwin ran backstage and he said, F, have you ever taken a voice lesson? No, what are you talking about? Just promise me one thing. You'll never step within 200 feet of a vocal teacher. <laughs> Thank God she didn't. Mm -hmm. oh, sure. Lovely. Okay, so this is basically a refreshed girl crazy. Sort of more integrating the Gershwin catalog. Came onto the Broadway scene in 1992. Won uh, the Tony Award for Best Musical. Had, had a... Uh, very well adored uh, West End transfer, which is the cast recording of this show that exists, which is interesting. What? Um, that, yeah, there's a Broadway cast recording and there's a London cast recording. There's both. I've literally never seen the Broadway cast recording. Like, literally never. It's out there. It's the one I've always had. Not the one starring Ruthie Henshaw. No, Jody Benson and Harry Groner. Huh. I literally didn't know there was a cast recording of that at all. Literally the only one I've ever had access to was the London cast recording. My mind is blown right now. I'm going to be listening to this Broadway recording afterward. But anyway, in 1999, they did this production at the Paper Mill Playhouse, starring Jim Walton, who starred in the uh, Toronto production, which came out alongside the Broadway and West End productions, uh, and a couple members of the OBC, but uh, for the most part, a brand new cast with... Uh, pretty much a replication of the original Broadway production. New director, but pretty much directed really, off the prop book. The director that's listed here was uh, the replacement Bobby. So it was someone who did oh. the show. And yeah, I mean, we say new director, but really it's the original direction. It's basically someone taking the prompt book from the original production and giving them the original direction they received when they were in the room. Mm. Frankly, if, if, if we may start talking about this production, for my money, I think the big thing that I take away from this production is that it's well rehearsed. Mm -hmm. You know? No, it is, it is well rehearsed. It's incredibly well rehearsed. Their, their timing and their movement and their choreography is absolutely staggeringly on point. And I have absolutely no qualms. I think it's, without a doubt, the strongest part of the show. And the reason why I think this show fell flat in comparison to how the show lives in the two of our hearts is I just felt like this company didn't really have a soul to it. You know? Like, it felt like it was delivering this material for laughs, of course, but I, I, I couldn't tell if this company was being directed in a way that was, like, maybe too corny or potentially not corny enough. Uh, to really throw convention to the wind, I think the audience here is mixed very sound-wise. The audience reaction is mixed very far back in the mix, so it's hard to get a reaction or get mm. a sense of how the audience is reacting to the show a lot of the laugh lines just sound like they aren't getting laughs i i can see how that was maybe a detriment though i don't know that that's entirely the thing because when there were 
w- like when there were choreography jokes, for me, I heard the audience loud and clear. I, I don't want to completely discredit that. I think it's entirely possible that the audience was probably mixed down too low, especially during numbers where you really only heard them erupt at the end of a number and then like silence throughout, which is kind of strange behavior. But for me, it, like, it, it, it felt extremely apparent to me that every piece of physical comedy here, everything that was reliant on blocking and on you know fight choreo and on stunts and on acrobatics and everything like that got reactions and got like pretty prominent reactions. And then the lines just sort of fell on their face. What do you attribute that to? I think I attribute that to a lack of aptitude with comedic direction of actors. Like, I feel like this... If you were to tell me that this musical was one that was established in the 30s or the 40s, I wouldn't have a hard time uh, believing you. Like, it does seem like... A classic traditional musical. Of course, it was written in the 90s, but it has a wonderfully classic feeling to it, and I think is I think harkens back to that classic golden age style of writing, you know, or pre-golden age even. And it just felt like those actors weren't meeting the material where it was. It felt like there was a disconnect. It felt like they were going for something, but they didn't really know how to get the laugh. They didn't know how to get the audience from the laugh. It, it, it seemed to me like the person who knew how to get the laugh was Susan Stroman, who's the choreographer of the production and whose prompt book they're working off of. Um, mm-hmm. To me, what I think this production needs is a Jerry Zach's company. You think of Forum. You think of Guys and Dolls. You know, Those are companies who know how to sell that classic material in the 90s, right? Well, I mean, it's if the original company sold the material very well. Yeah. Otherwise, the show wouldn't have worked. Absolutely. Uh, and this was Mike Ockrent. And he also did Me and My Girl. He resuscitated Me and My Girl. Another very old-fashioned musical comedy. Uh, I guess... Crazy for You opened in 92. This is 1999. And I think a decent number of people had been with the show for a decent portion of time. Uh, This didn't feel fresh. And I think maybe that's what's giving us pause. No one's finding something new. They know where they're going at every single moment. And there is a bit of autopilot. Yes. Yeah. That's totally a problem I had with it. Autopilot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said. And that's kind of why I wanted to start with the production first, because I feel like you would get the impression from this production that it's a lame show, you know? And no, no, I wouldn't get that it's a lame show. I would get that it's maybe outdated. But again, outdated... Like, it, it's it's written in the 90s in a style that is of the 30s. And so the question is, how did it not feel dated in the 90s? And is that, like, you know, you, you wonder, is that the material, or is it that it's not a fresh company? Yeah, I think it's just not a fresh company. Which is a shame, you know? Because I... I yeah, and ultimately... And they're not wrong. I, 
no, 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 no it's not really yeah. wrong. And that's the other thing that's so odd to talk about here. No one's wrong. There's nothing that really is that far off. But it's very staid. And for an American musical comedy that uh, got the reviews that it got, that's unusual. Yeah, you're completely correct. It's like, I wouldn't really say there's a, there's a bad performance here. Everyone here is gifted. Everyone here, you, you, noticeably good actors, good dancers, pretty good vocalists for, you know, almost the entire company. But do you think maybe that maybe they were out of sync? Do you think that was the case? Uh, out of sync how? Do you think maybe, like, I don't want to say exactly that they weren't on the same wavelength, but do you think maybe there was a lack of connection among the company? It didn't, like, that maybe it was, did, did it feel inorganic to you? Well, I think there was a lack of connection between performer and audience. Sure. And I think that's really what it comes down to. Um, yeah, lack of connection between Which is performer and then lack of connection between audience. There's just not the... I guess what we're really getting at here is that there is not the transference of energy that you normally would see in a musical. And part of me thinks that's just the recording as well, More, more the more I think about it, because the curtain call had standing ovations. Mm-hmm. People erupted from their seat before the last hit of the music. Well, and see, it's so odd because it's Matthew Diamond who directed the cameras and actually did the recording of the piece. Um, Not only did he do a whole number of uh, Golden Girls episodes, he Mm. did Liza with a Z when they filmed Liza with a Z. And that's such a clear great recording of how Liza is yeah. connecting with her audience if you Yeah, that's that. one of that's one of the legendary pro shots in the history of theater. Did I say Liza with a Z? Oh, are you talking about Liza at the Palace? I'm talking about Liza at the Palace. God. Oh. I've heard it's good too. <laughs> maybe I am. Maybe I, I was going to say I was going to say something. was he a camera person? I I was I, I thought it was, I was like is that what you're trying to say? He's a camera person? What uh, happens um, when you go to create a pro shot? Uh, there will be the director of the production is the director of the production. And then there will be a TV director that comes in and just maybe adjusts the lighting for the cameras and sets up the cameras and does the actual editing and capturing of the piece as it is. So we already talked about Passing Strange. Um, Spike Lee is too passing strange as Matthew Diamond is crazy for you here. Yes. Well, well, like, yes, but let's not insinuate an equivalence. Well, that's just the frame of reference. Yeah, yeah, no, fair enough. So, So, I don't buy that he's completely sabotaging. Um, No, it it had to have been something on the post-production team here. Because it's not shot poorly, really. Like, it's not no, very exciting, but it's not poor at all. It's shot well. I have an issue with the sound mixing, but no. uh, I don't know. It's not It's not vibrant, and I think this show needs to be vibrant. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's an exuberant display of a show, you know? 
I guess the I guess it is a production show, you know, because as much as I find the book funny and uh, and I find the score incredible, I think this is a show that is only cemented when it is given an elaborate production, you know? It's like Crazy For You, I don't think you can do a scale down Crazy For You, for example. I think you need to really give this show the theatrics that it calls for, and you need to give it that spectacle, and with that comes the energy that this show demands. And, you know, the production was there, the energy was not. Sure. Yeah. That's a way to put that. <laughs> do you do you disagree? Not really. No. So, yeah. Um, that being said, I guess that's principally just looking at this production's direction and at this pro shot's direction. Let's let's talk now about Susan Stroma's choreography, because that's here and that's on display. What do you have to say about about Crazy For You's choreography? This was the first um, job where she really cemented her style and what it is Susan Stroman does. And and what's that? I was about to tell you. Well, uh, go ahead. The I'm all ears. I'm Susan... very excited to hear what you have to say. The hallmark. You know how much I appreciate your insight, and I'm just, I, I, I just like, like, like hearing you talk about things you know. The hallmark. The highest compliment I can pay, really. <laughs> the hallmark of Susan Stroman, and I hope you know, I've completely taken the earbuds out at this point. <laughs> um, so I guess the rest of this is a oh gosh. For me. Oh, I'm the excited. I'm gonna commentate. Susan Stroman. Yeah, here, is... let's hear it that um get on with it there's excellent prop work okay sure and, and? no one has really used props in mm. the same way that she does and it's not j i mean it's what she takes chorus girls uh-huh and she takes strings and puts them with guys and they Ooh, create yes. upright bases that it's, was a great moment it, it, there's a wackiness and there's okay what do the physical what are the physical objects that exist in this world let's pick it mm -hmm. up and let's create a dance with them the set is a play box so while she never really creates her own vocabulary as a choreographer and to be honest really mm -hmm. only Fossey created his own vocabulary fair fair enough um but I know so much about dance. She doesn't create her own vocabulary, but where you see her hallmark, where you see her separate herself from the pack, is when she mm -hmm. picks up props and how whimsical right. the choreography is. And you look well said. at the end of Act One, I Got Rhythm, and how that number builds. I mean, God, mm -hmm. she knows how to build a number. Yeah. Building numbers is her forte. Okay, I guess he's probably stopping talking at this point. I'll try again. Are you back? Mm-hmm. Okay, I stayed perfectly silent and respectable uh, throughout your really That's elaborate a lie speech. And I heard. 
No, no, I you didn't. didn't. I was specifically no. what, but I heard you talking. No, I was, I was a perfect listener. You're absolutely correct. It's, it's. You should repeat that. No, nah, I'm good. Uh, it'll be cemented really in the podcast. You, I'm, should... you, you can clip it if you'd like to, and you know, frame it as you lie in bed sobbing. It's, it's, it's a brilliant, brilliant, constant awareness of the space, right? Not just going, oh, this is how much space I have to work with, or I have to go within here to here. It's knowing what makes up the space, right? Like you mentioned, it's mm-hmm. knowing what's in the space, knowing what is diegetic. It's really thrilling. It, it, it's thrilling to see the world become the choreography, you know? The world become the choreography. That's a nice phrase. Thank you. I'm very gifted. No, but that was a nice phrase. Well, thanks. And of course, Susan Stroman would go on to legendarily head the producers. She was supposed to do the producers with Mike Ockrent, who... Who directed this. Directed this, and they were married. Originally directed this, not this production. Mm -hmm. And they were married, and they were working on the producers, and he passed away. And she didn't think that she could do the producers, and Mel Brooks said, eh, you should direct and choreograph it (laughs) yourself. You're good enough. And she said, I'm crying every day. And he said, well, you'll come to rehearsals in the morning, we'll laugh, and then you'll go home and cry, and that's how you'll get through this. What a lovely guy, Mel Brooks. Holy hell. I can't wait to talk about some of his work on here. Right, but um, Susan Stroman, you, you, you can see that the, those early inklings of, you know, I guess it's not really, like you were saying, it's not necessarily a vocabulary as much as it, as it is just an expertise, right? It's just a complete it, it's a thrilling... It's Yeah, viewpoint, yeah. And it's a very, very thrilling one at that. It's one that knows how to maintain energy and electricity and how to entertain and still have the audience, you know, leave that thinking, oh, that was clever. Mm Mm-hmm. She does clever choreography. She knows how to establish cleverness. Yeah. She's kind of like, um... I really, the finale was very visually arresting. Yeah. Reminiscent of Very suddenly so. Ziegfeld Follies and whatnot. And I liked it. Um, It is definitely... We've talked about Big Broadway. We've been doing a lot of 90s shows recently. We need to step away from the 90s shows a little bit. (laughs) Um, But it is Big Broadway in that there's a car on stage... Okay, now we have a fantasy finale, and look at all of these sets, and we've set up our own barricade that we're dancing on top of, and, um, yeah, there's a heavy scenic design here, but it it works for the show. I thought it was nice. It did, it did feel like it matched. Uh, I was actually pretty impressed with how well the Gaiety Theater set was pulled off. You know, that, that, that uh, drop that they had with that viewpoint I thought was surprisingly effective. And then, you know, that New York City drop is, like, stereotypical, but lovingly classic. 
And the costumes, um, they weren't my favorite in the world, but they established tone well, and they were appropriate for each character. And it's interesting to note, the show won three Tony Awards. Uh, best Choreography, Best Costume Design, and Best Musical. Hmm. I can see costume design. You know that uh, finale scene where Bobby's mother came out wearing uh, an outfit pulled from the wardrobe of Colleen Donaghy? I think that gets you the Tony. <sighs> but also, like, half the costumes in the show were tuxedos. Yeah, but the showgirl costumes were very well done. Yeah, I agree. Those were actually very well done, yes. Uh, and then those finale- and then like all the finale costumes I also thought were very well done. Or looking when he arrives at the townspeople and what they're wearing. Um, it's very easy for that to look boring, and it didn't. All those podunk town costumes, you know. Fair. Yeah, I... The, 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 the production had certainly strong elements. Yeah, the only thing really to shake a stick at here, I think, is the dynamic present within, within the company. But yeah, overall, I think uh, the the production has strong individual parts, you know? It's a decent production. I mean, I don't think it's hard. We're talking about production, and we're really talking about the original production. Yeah. I don't think yeah. this realization of the original production was strong. 100% the best representation um, in direction but the overall original production is very strong. Right, okay. So, with that in mind, and that's, th- this is, see, this is kind of why I wanted to start talking about the production, because, as I mentioned, it felt as though the production was sort of a disservice to the material. And I didn't want to start the conversation with the material, because I, did, I, I wanted to clear that air about, like, you know, where the material stands and where the production stands. So with that being said, let's now start talking about the material. We'll get to the book in a minute. We've got a Gershwin score here. And what I want to talk about first here is the quality of this assembly, how well the choice of songs served the piece, and how sort of universal these songs end up working. These song- The songs are universal, and the songs are brilliantly melodic with catchy lyrics. He produced musical theater earworms, and the songs are applicable to so many contexts that there I, I, I can't find a song in the show that feels out of place. This is another interesting thing I was having happen to me, because at this point, since George Gershwin's death, there have been, what, four or five new Gershwin musicals? Um, there's been, I only really know of Crazy For You and Nice Work If You Can Get It, which is a song cra- in this show. There's Crazy For You, there's Nice Work If You Can Get It, there's An American in Paris. Oh, there of was, course. There was My One and Only, and that was with 10-time Tony winner Tommy Toon and Twiggy. All of these Gershwin shows, this is also the first time we're talking about a jukebox musical. Um, all of these Gershwin shows... Still can't shows, wrap my head around that. They, uh... I'll end up using the same songs. And what I was experiencing during Crazy For You was, oh, I've seen that song used better in a different musical. Okay, that worked better here. 
okay, well, that worked better in American in Paris. That worked better in nice work if you can get it. So there's a question of how many times can you return to the pool and not poison the pool. Sure. Do you think we've hit that? Like, outside of the conversation of crazy for you, do you think we've, we've hit that or that we are hitting that? I think we are hitting that at this point. I mean... You want to revive a Gershwin show, revive a Gershwin show. I, I don't think we need another musical that has... You can't take that away from me. Yeah. Or another musical that really needs nice work if you can get it. Or another musical that needs I Got Rhythm, for that matter. Mm-hmm. And, That's you know, wh- when you say that, when you say that, like, the first thing that comes to mind for me are the, I think it's either three or four Sondheim reviews, which, again, I'm not trying to say crazy for you or any of these shows you mentioned are reviews, but, you know, it's so many different shows trying to take this material and turn it into something else to the point where it's kind of getting tired, you know? Side by Side by Sondheim was adored, and then you had, um, uh, putting what it together. What's interesting then you had... about the Sondheim reviews is that Side by Side by Sondheim, that was really, after years of being put down as a composer by critics, that was a group of Londoners who were saying, he's really great, and we're going to perform this music. And a lot of people, it was the first time they noticed Sondheim as a composer. Putting it together, uh, both versions, because there are two completely yes. separate versions of putting it together, uh, but both versions of putting it together actually tried to create something of a narrative over the course of the evening. And then Sondheim but I think before Sondheim, that, you had um, Marry Me a Little. Well, Marry Me a Little was all of his cut songs that a lot of people hadn't heard. Sondheim on Sondheim was Sondheim commenting on his material and the performers were mostly presenting the songs somewhat in character in context of the show and so while we keep getting the same songs over and over there's a different approach with each of the Sondheim reviews yeah it's like it's like you're not just going okay we'll make a narrative and plop songs around it it's it's like they each have different framing devices well, and there's some variation in what you do include because you can't include everything. We're sitting here with the Gershwin shows asking, okay, where are they going to put someone to watch over me? But you know what I think that is? I think that's disparity of material because I think Sondheim's work allows for metatheatricality, whereas I think the Gershwin's music, you know, sort of sets the precedent of, oh, right a musical comedy book for it. Sondheim's songs individually, you can almost present them as you would a series of monologues. Whereas with the Gershwin songs, it's a series of tunes that work very well for different relationships and different situations, you know? It's like the song works for a certain context, but that context is broad. You have something like Shall We Dance which is a nice back-and-forth sort of let's-celebrate-together relationship. You have What Causes That, which is a chummy number. You have Someone to Watch Over Me, which is The Lonely Lover, you know? And so Mm -hmm. you're able to sort of put 
adjectives to these songs and then write a book and go, okay, this adjective in the book and this adjective in the song go together, the song will work here. And it does. But it is, but it does then become like, you know, there are only so many and we're using the pool of, you know, what the audience wants to hear and what is universally the most malleable and all that. Well, there are only so many, but they're not really experimenting. I don't think yeah. any of the Porgy and Best material, for example, has ended up in any of the other shows. Um, that might be because DuBose Hayward, the DuBose Hayward estate has said absolutely not. But there was a moment in the show that they start playing Rhapsody in Blue, and that was laying it on a little thick of... I agree. Jesus, they're trying to just get everything in here. Yeah. That one, That was the one thing that I think felt a little exploitative. Mm-hmm. And, like, I get why you do it on paper, but, like, did that moment even call for it? Well, and in 1992, when it's the first time you've seen it, or seen a jukebox Gershwin musical... I don't think you're sitting around saying, is this the best use of the song? Is this exploitative? You're creating a genre, what turned out to be a genre. We're now looking at it 20 years later, our eyes more wide open to (laughs) the possibilities and what has happened. And God only knows with Concord now owning that catalog. I love musical theater hierarchies, don't you? You know, really quickly, let's talk about these melodies altogether. We t- we've talked about the songs sort of as entities, but what is it about a Gershwin melody that just is so fucking catchy? Um, it's the catch of the heart. You know that huh. feeling when your heart catches? That's what his music is. Wow. Fuck, well said. Yeah, just came up with that. Turns out I'm exactly right. I am that, so good at this. That was the, f- you know, You're I I gotta to hand it to you. To the unauthorized critics. I gotta hand it to you. That's the first thing you've done that I like. There we go. I was one. Yeah, he hung up. I was I was expecting it. Just took him a while. I hung up on him because after we've recorded huh. for I don't know a week, couple weeks, to just say that's the first thing I've ever done that he likes disrespectful okay but seriously let's get back on track disrespectful yeah i know my bad um i i i i think there's something that gershwin has learned about new york that enables him to so perfectly capture new york's lightning in a bottle energy right and that's not necessarily talking about, like, you know, songs like the, the Real American Folk Song or Biding My Time, but, you know, songs that aren't specifically New York, you know, talking about that Stairway to Paradise number, that's, that's sort of representing New York entering Nevada. And it captures this exuberance and this lightning and this energy so fucking brilliantly. And to me, those are where the highlights of his music are. It's in... His sheer electricity. Sure, it is electric in a way. And then there's just a comfortable romanticism. Uh, But something like, you know, he loves and she loves. It's a love song, but it's kind of sad. 
in how exposed it is. A lot of his music's very exposed. Hmm. Exposed is interesting, yeah. I think, keeping with New York, he has space for both being in love and also feeling isolated at the same time. Hmm. Maybe. And do you have anything you want to say about, um, about Ira's lyrics? He made his home in that fish's abdomen. Wrong show. Uh, his lyrics always sit perfectly on the music. Um, you can tell that they're brothers. It's just hmm. so perfect together, and it is so... Not single vision, but related to the same vision. And, uh, you know, we talk about... Last week, we even talked about... Elton John and different lyricists and not equating Elton John with George Gershwin, but different lyricists bring out different sides of different composers. Uh huh. I think Ira Gershwin lets George Gershwin be the most George Gershwin. Probably because there's a lived history between the two of us. I don't know how many brother brother duos there were. I'm sure there haven't been any brother sister or sister sister. Ah, uh, that's an interesting question. Write in if you know any other brother duos that wrote songs together. Uh, but it's some of George Gershwin's best music. If you don't like George Gershwin's music, I'm sorry. I probably hate you. <laughs> Actually, I'm not sorry. Yeah, that's, I hate that's you on and you. You deserve it. That's that's your failings. It, it it's just being. a lack of taste. It, it is a shocking lack, lack of taste. It's great music. I mean, someone to watch over me. You think that's not a good song? Fuck off. You kind of don't have rights. Like, that's not, that's not on me. That's on you. I think the consensus we're reaching is that the Gershwins are capable. I would say so. The Gershwins are legendary. And their work here is a brilliant showcase of that. Now let's go on to this book. I like this book a lot. Do you like this book? It is evoking an older era. Uh, I think it does work. Is it my favorite book? Probably not. And I had more positive feelings about the book walking into today than having after having seen this video because the book is filled with laugh lines and when you're not getting those laughs there's not much else left yeah you're right and i mean it's a musical comedy that's fine um it hypothetically works i didn't think the book worked the best at this performance which makes me kind of leery of the book recording this in this moment. Yep. And that's exactly why I wanted to get the production out of the way first. Um, because, you know, this is material. Because, you know, this book is something that needs that perfect energy to thrive, right? Um, mm -hmm. The book is standard musical comedy there's no real deep societal conversation being had 
It's a story being told and comedy taking place throughout the story. And when the audience is not picking that comedy up, it has no life force. But I think the the writing itself, I think is strong enough to entertain an audience at the very least. I think yes. I think the laugh lines are funny, and I think the book can be rather clever at points. Um, and it's very well comedically structured, like very well structured. Yeah, I I I think it's a it's it's a really really enjoyable piece of writing. And I wish this production had showcased it better, or I guess it had lived better in this production. But I do think the material itself is strong as long as you have the players ready to inhabit it. Well, it, the book is by Ken Ludwig. Yeah. And it just, I don't know if the book reaches the absolute height of Ken Ludwig's typical farcical antics. It's somewhere along the lines, and it's not bad, but I don't know if it's the best thing he's done in his life. Mm. And you know what? For really kind of creating an entire genre of jukebox musical, for lack of a better word, uh, good on him. It certainly was strong enough for other people to come along and say, oh, I can do that. Yeah, and the other shows, some of them haven't done it as well, to be honest. Oh yeah, no, I don't. That's not a controversial opinion. <laughs> um, well, I mean, even just among the jukebox Gershwin pieces. Sure. Um, Although I guess my one and only did predate this. You know, I I just I I I I wouldn't sit here and make the argument that I think this is, you know. A, a pinnacle of book writing. Um, I don't even know that it's like, you know, the perfect musical comedy. But for my money, it sure as hell is entertaining and it sure as hell is well written. And it gets the job done and it's solid. And yeah. at the end of the day, I think that's. Who could ask for anything important. more? Who could ask for anything more who could ask for anything more um company no not the show dan stop the the company of this fuck me bobby baby bobby baby robbie robert darling bobby we've been trying to call you bobby honey angel we've been trying to reach you all day the kids are asking bobby there was something we wanted to say bobby bobby where have you been stop by on your way home bobby we've been thinking of you drop by anytime i hope you know i was like directly up against the mic for that so enjoy listening to that Bobby, there's a concert on Tuesday. We, we, we already sort of established that we thought it was a talented company that didn't click. And so that being said, is there any are there any performers here you'd like to talk about? I don't know. Who do you want to talk about? I can't lie to you. The, the, the production didn't necessarily make me enthusiastic. You know, I thought oh, I can make an overall statement about the company in that I think it is chock full of good singers and good dancers and people with good comedic talent 
And I think they're let down sort of by this specific direction and by this energy and by this audience and by et cetera, et cetera. But I do think it's a, it's a talented et cetera, company, et cetera. despite, despite the fact that it didn't land for me. nations in alliance? If allies are weak, am I not left alone? Sorry. I think we're going to get sued for this episode. King and I. Not for any of the illicit you stuff can't. that we're talking about, you but can't. just for like for like how many songs we're using. Someone's going to find a loophole. We're, we're, we're involving too many parties. Well, you're going to have to cut out some of those then. Well, I'm not going to. So, audience, this is us taking the gamble. I would never play the part, and I know that, and I wouldn't even try. Uh, that's a good, yeah, That's I, I think that's a good bar to set. Yeah. Just is there anyone you want to talk about? Tuneful music sometimes. Um, I don't really want to talk about Jane Cannell. She's fine here. But we should mention Jane Cannell is in this. And God, what a legendary actress is Jane Cannell. She was in the original production of MAME. She was Gooch. The first ever Gooch in MAME. She's been in a lot of other really terrific shows. She's one of the legendary actresses of really Broadway history mm. she did Three Penny Opera with Lottie Lenya yeah she's a Tony nominee it's sad that she never won and also didn't she play the role in the film yes she was in the uh, movie of MAME that had Lucille Ball I will sing a couple bars as Lucy holy shit Where? Is that boy with the bugle my little love who is always my big romance I where's think... that boy with the bugle light the candles get the ice out roll the rug up it's today this That's specific impression has sort of revealed the structure of your Firestein and Stritch impressions. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. They're all shades of one another. <laughs> I never noticed that. It's something in the water. <laughs> I never noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of Tony nominees, we have uh, Bruce Adler here reprising his role from the Broadway company as Bella's Angler. He's another nominee for those were the days and he was in sunday in the park with george mm -hmm. i'll let you get away with that because i like it so much red water pushing it um on the green orange violet mass. he 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 really i think is one of the people who has carried the energy of crazy for you onto this production he he does he doesn't i guess necessarily click but i think that's sort of him going into his rhythm because you can tell he that got he's got rhythm. a lot of the cadence uh, from that original broadway company sometimes he's gonna ignore him he he plays the character earnestly enough and still knows how to hit all of those classic comedy beats um fine performance from tony nominee bruce adler he has the best scene in the show it still stood out as the best scene of the show, actually. And not, I mean, I'm sure you're saying that because you played it. Uh, but. I'm not. I'm saying it because it's a straight up solid, like, seven, eight minutes of 
flawless comedy. Okay. Well, it worked. It's it's classic and it's traditional and it's like, you know, sort of like I guess almost like safe comedy. And you but stole everything that he did, executed. you petty thief. You couldn't come up with anything for yourself. You just stole all of Bruce Adler's bits. Isn't isn't there a famous quote that's saying all of art is stealing? Just for you, you thief, you pickpocket. You'd probably be an Oliver at some point. Where is love? Does it shine from stars above? I should, I should, I don't know why I'm paying for Spotify. I'm getting, you know, I'm getting a discography here. They <laughs> um, even gave you an Oliver whose voice was changing. <laughs> Do you take requests? Uh, sometimes. What a shame. Uh, so who else do you want to talk about here? We should probably talk about the lead, too. Yeah, I was going to say, let's go with the easy targets. Uh, let's start with Stacy Logan here playing Polly. Uh, we saw Stacy Logan. Yes, she had the song that we hated in Sweet Smell of Success. Yeah, we saw her. We saw Stacey Logan. We didn't exactly care for Stacey Logan. Nothing of her fault. Uh, no, um, it was the material there. Um, yeah. And here, we should point out she was in the original Broadway cast of Crazy for You, and she went uh -huh. on to understudy Polly in the original bro in later on in the Broadway run, and she's very accomplished. I think. She's using a little too much soprano for my taste. I kind of wanted more of a mix. Uh, not that it had to be belting. I don't think it had to be belting all the time at all. Uh, I just wanted more of a mix throughout the voice. Because um, you have, you know, you have something like um, I Got Rhythm, where at the end you have... Ah, ah, and, you, you know, she sort of flips into head voice for that last note. And it's a little bit underwhelming. I just um, thought overall vocally it could have been more mixed. Uh, she had the moment that most impressed me. And what was that moment? It was her reaction to they can't take that away from me. Huh. Talk about that. Um, she was heartbroken, but she... Because she knew what she wanted to do, and she knew she wouldn't let herself do that. The character, not the actress. Uh, she knew that she was in love with this guy. She knew she wanted to kind of run away with him. But also, he's betrayed her to a certain extent. And you can't just set that aside. I, I really got a sense of someone who's been um, screwed over and doesn't know exactly how they feel. And she did feel like she really did get the character. Of course, you know, being with that original Broadway company, she probably carried over some of that with her. Mm -hmm. Um I thought she was technically a little less proficient when it came to singing. Not that she was a bad singer, but again, sort of well, where no, her no, placement no. was and I where mean, she chose technically to... Technically, she was fine. It just wasn't a perfect match vocally, her voice to this music. No, no, I mean, like, like the, uh, the adapting the technique to the material, I mean, you know? Not that I don't mean... To, I, don't, I didn't mean it to say that she was a poor singer, that she had anything that I could point at and say oh that was poor 
but well also it's kind of hard because a lot of those songs were written for more of sopranos but the entire thing has been rearranged and reorchestrated and, and kind so you of now set need to meet on where it's at. Jody Benson, who's yep. really a belter. Yeah. But otherwise, she danced well. Mm-hmm. Um, and she established a good character. And it was a nice performance. I thought she was very good. Let's jump over to the other half of the relationship, uh, where we have uh, Jim Walton playing Bobby. Uh, we haven't talked about Jim on the podcast yet, have we? We have not. Jim's a good old song and dance man. He's currently on Broadway in uh, the Canadian smash hit Come From Away. I'm um, an Oilander. I am an Oilander. I'm an Oilander. I am an Oilander. I'm an Oilander. I he, um, am an Oilander. He, he's played... I'm uh, an Oilander. I'm an Oilander. Here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get more Open Canadian in a second. Uh, Jim Walton da, 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 previously da, da. had played Bobby Child uh, in the Australian and Toronto productions of... Uh, crazy for you. Oh, did he do um, Australia? Oh, no. He, he did do Australia indeed. Yes, that's him. Mm. And, you know, he was also in that, uh, what was it called? Review Dance a Little Closer? Was that what it was called? Dance a Little what Closer? No. No, I'm thinking about something else. That 1990, Closer Than Ever. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. He was in that review Closer Than Ever. Uh, made his Broadway debut in Merrily Roll Along. And that's he's where a, I want to start with him. There is a line that Bobby has <laughs> oh my God. in Crazy For You. And <laughs> Bobby says, I could accomplish something. And it's supposed to be a happy, like, go get him line. And you hear Jim Walton say that, and you look at his face, and he says, I could accomplish something. And it's this depressed, knowing gleam of the future that's in his eyes. And it's just like, you can take the boy out of merrily, but you just can't take merrily out of the boy. And there's just no way for him to say, I could accomplish something. And to have it not have the Sondheim malaise and kind of baggage with it. We're the shapers, we're the names in tomorrow's papers. Up to us men to show them. It's our time. That one fucking annoying ass. What, what, is that, is that a, a violin that just goes, in the OBCR? I think so. It's, it's so fucking piercing. I hate that. Breathe it in. Worlds to change and worlds No, 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 no. no. Let's, let's, do, let's do the second verse with the harmonies. It's, it's, it's our, our heads on the block. No, fuck you on top. It's our heads on the block. Give no us one believes that out of you, kid. Start the clock. <laughs> me and you, you pal, me and you. <laughs> I think we both went for that. <laughs> we did. And you know what? Honestly, Jim Walton makes for a pretty dope song and dance man. Oh, he's perfect here. I think best performance in the show, uh, bar none. Yeah. Uh, he's exactly the voice you want singing that music. Turns out he can really fucking dance, which I was not expecting. You don't think... Uh, sorry, I will always... Uh, in my head, he's always going to be Franklin Shepard from Merrily We Roll Along to an extent. And you don't think, oh, Sondheim lead. Dancer. <laughs> we need a dancer. Let's find Patti LuPone. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, hey, <laughs> hey, you got a Vita. She did that pretty well. Yeah, um, but you're not sitting around thinking Sondheim lead. Glennis Johns. Let's find out what Glennis Johns is doing. Well, that makes one of us. That us. makes one of us. I'm fascinated. <laughs> yeah. Um, he he has a great voice and a great theatricality, and he moves like an angel, and he acts it very well. Walks like an angel. He leads this company Talks with a plum. like an angel. <laughs> I'm getting. And he does a pretty fine job as Angler as well. You know, the role of Bobby is really two roles because he spent half the show pretending to be another guy. Um, it's Bobby and Jackie and Jack. And myriads more in the back. Um, there's Ethel and Teddy and Pat alone, plus Eunice no, and Stephen and Teen and Joan. Stephen and hold the phone, the one in the army, one in the army, Captain Major Sergeant, that's it, so many more in the pack. You ought to know how to keep track. I haven't looked at the lyrics for it once. I just know that. That's fucking bonkers to me. And so it, he, 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 he really leads this company majestically and gives a no-hold-barred performance. Everyone else in this company cool. was well-performed and well-kept mm -hmm. and very talented, very gifted. There were some great comedic performances here I really liked. Lank's performance, and I really liked Irene's performance, and I thought Moose... Was very had very funny moments. Yeah, it was a well, it was a well established company. They all had very very significant gifts individually. Which is a very 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 nice very 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 nice very nice beginning. Twenty fifth annual. Twenty fifth annual. We talked about this recording already enough. I don't think we need to waste any more time deliberating on it. Well, let's just mention it was pro shot for PBS. It seems decently. Yeah. It's very decently shot. I wish it was commercially available, because yeah, the copy that the copy we watched, we watched yeah. was fine. It wasn't the best, but it's really whether or not it is the best recording of Crazy for You Ever. Yeah. This is something that should be out and available to the kids. There's a there's you know? there's a complete capture of this show. Of the best musical Tony winner. Yeah. And it's just not officially in a accessible. more than decent production. Not the best production in the world, but a more than decent representation of yeah. what that original production was. Yeah, it's not a dinky old regional thing, you know? It is a full mm -hmm. and rather lavish production, and there's no way to officially get your hands on it, and that's insane. Um, mm -hmm. I think PBS needs to do a better job of sharing its assets, you know? Um, I think it did release that King and I, but I think that was also through Broadway HD, wasn't it? That was, that was a pro shot in London that was in movie theaters and Broadway HD before it came out on PBS. Oh, right. Uh, there's so many from the back catalog. And, like, you think about the Sondheim shows that were a part of great performances that owe their iconic status today to their home releases. Sunday in the Park with George, Into the Woods, Passion, all those on VHS. Those have cemented those shows' legacies. And... 
you know, to think that there's so many in the archives that they're just sitting on letting collect cobwebs is ridiculous. Off the top of my head, they have the Lincoln Center, South Pacific Revival. They have yeah. the Light in the Piazza the from Piazza, Lincoln Center. Say. They have Contact from Lincoln Center. They have a 1979 revival of Most Happy Fella. They have New York City Opera doing a number of uh, pieces, including Porgy and Bess, and some other operettas. Were they responsible for that um, New York City Opera uh, Little Night Music? Yes. Was that commercially available? The New York City Opera Little Night Music, which is not commercially available, Ridiculous. is among the things in the vault. Um, Ridiculous. There's a New York Philharmonic concert of Camelot with Marin Maisie. There's a New York Philharmonic uh, concert of Showboat with Vanessa Williams. Uh, there's a lot. Give this shit back to the people. Like There's a Showboat from Paper Mill Playhouse. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I'm going to, in all good faith, encourage more streaming services. But you could establish... Something. Give this shit to Broadway HD. License it to Broadway HD. That's how you get. They would have to go in and renegotiate the contracts, and the idea yeah. is that the money it would take to renegotiate the contracts would is cost would more than yield what they would any, profit. Would yeah, would cost more than you would ever profit. But some good gay Samaritan <laughs> needs to just put the money down and say, you know what, we're giving it back to the people. What was that theater school that just had completely started doing free tuition? Get David Geffen on this shit. He's got money to throw around at, uh, you know, post-secondary educations, giving theater schools free tuition. Fuck the students. Give us the pro shots. Well, I think that if you find David Geffen, you can be personally uh, influential in having that happen. Anyway. If you really want it. <gasps> Overall... As a pro shot, I'm going to give it, like, A-. minus. Poor sound mixing, but... I'll give it an A-, minus too. Yeah. Otherwise, a great capture. Um, and Crazy For You as a show... I don't want to grade, grade this production of Crazy For You. But grading this, this, this show itself, Crazy For You. I, I'm going to give it an A-. Minus. I think, I'll give it a B+. Plus. I, I, I think um, it's... When it's done right, I think it has the capacity to be a brilliantly entertaining night at the theater. I don't think it's anything more. I don't think it tries to be anything more. I don't think it should be anything more. I think it is a great night of entertainment as it stands. Yeah, I think it's an A-minus show. I, I give it a B-plus. It's entertaining. Um, it's not the best thing in the world, but it's very solid. Mm -hmm. Right. Well... That about concludes our discussion of the Gershwin classic, Crazy for You. A nice little classic created in 1992. Our sound quality hasn't changed at all. What are you talking about? <laughs> I love how geographically similar we are to where we were when we recorded that episode. This one didn't uh, sit in a can for six months. What are you talking no, about? No, absolutely not. What? No, no, no. Oh. Sorry, backlog? What's the? I don't know the meaning of the word. Backlog! <laughs> Daniel. Uh-huh. I think this 
actually kind of suits the direction we're taking with the podcast, where we're about to, the uncharted territory we're about to enter. What do you mean? I want you to, next week is so very much your pick. And I really you want you that? to just. What do you mean by that? What do you? I want you to tell the audience a little bit about of? next week's episode, and then the audience can decide for themselves what I'm putting down. Oh sure. fucking lyric that's not the title thank you renee thank you renee that's that's quite enough renee oh my god is that renee fleming (laughs) that's quite enough renee Uh, thank you opera diva legend renee fleming um that is the wrong in my life we are covering in my life the broadway sensation of 2005 and all that followed (laughs) dan Mm -hmm. i I feel at this point it's fair that we disclose to the audience as we've taken such a different sonic quality that we have recorded the episode that they are going to be listening to next week. Yes. And listener, listener, no, when I tell you, you say, that next week's episode will is going to be one for the books, no matter what. pray listen to me. In My Life is a theatrical event that many wish they could meet the mark of. Oh, I wouldn't say that. And yet that. haven't. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe I wouldn't say people wish to make the mark of, but few musicals in existence have attained the status of quality that In My Life has attained in a way that I find truly magical. And I so deeply encourage listening to next week's episode because we're touching upon a little piece of theatrical history that just means so very much to me now. (laughs) It's not even for the fact that it's Jonathan Groff's Broadway debut. No, no, no. It is Jonathan Groff's Broadway debut, and he is... It is Groff's Broadway debut. He is there. uh, He was the the pate on the Ritz cracker of this musical. (laughs) A very fine pate and a nice Ritz cracker. A nice, a nice slightly expired uh, Ritz, Ritz cracker. cracker. <laughs> That's been just like left on the counter raw for like a week, just completely dry. You don't know that. What in terms of the musical or in terms of the Ritz cracker? Sure. <laughs> this is making as little sense as next week's musical will. Please tune in next week for. Just such a wonderful time. In my life. Terrific. The discography of Renee Fleming just makes me so happy. Not even the actual music, just like the titles. Thank you for listening to the Unauthorized Critic Circle. Tune in next week when we discuss In My Life on October 12th of 2005. I don't need to specify the production. There was only one production. Use your head. We believe in you. If you enjoyed the episode, rate us, review us, and subscribe to us on your platform of choice. 
And if you have any recommendations, questions, or virtual flowers to send our way, email us at unccpodcast at gmail.com. The Unauthorized Criticable Podcast is unauthorized. The podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Crazy for you. And all names, pictures, and audio clips are registered trademarks and or copyright of the respective trademark and copyright holders. The Unauthorized Critic Circle cannot help the listener locate or distribute recordings discussed herein.